and welcome to the latest edition of the 24K podcast. The official podcast of the Denver Nuggets. Hello, Katie. (laughs) Hello, Dems. (laughs) Uh, We're back with you and we have a great show for you, but we want to start with some Nuggets talk because that's what we do here on this podcast. Dems and Dubs, Nuggets all the time. (laughs) All the time. As the Nuggets are winding toward the regular season, uh, I want to start with asking you this. Uh, Just... What do you think – what are the couple of things you want to see them be able to iron out prior to the regular season? Turnovers. That is my, like, red – if there was, like, a neon light (laughs) flashing in the distance that you were looking at and you – that was guiding your way, it would be turnovers for the Nuggets in my eyes. Um, And that is leading to them putting themselves in – Really tough situations defensively in transition. And Malone, that's something Malone has not been thrilled with lately as their transition defense. Hey, if you don't turn the ball over, you don't put yourself in transition <laughs> defense. So if they can – I think that honestly snowballs into the rest of the tweaking that needs to happen too. Hmm. Offensively, what's the chemistry going to be like? How are the starters going to continue to build their rapport on the floor? Hey, that rhymed. Rapport on the floor. About to drop a couple lines now. Well. Not going to do that. Um, But I do think that once the offense starts flowing a little bit better together, I think the bench unit has done a phenomenal job connecting. But once the starters can really mesh the way that we know that they are capable of, I think good things will happen and the turnovers will go down and then they will not put themselves in tough positions defensively. Yeah, it's just interesting how – how long we've been talking about turnovers and not just this, not just, you know, early in the pre through the preseason, I'm going back to last season. Yeah. And it just kind of, this this on and off thing on and off thing. And, you know, I think what was interesting to me about the turnovers is sometimes not just the number itself, but the points allowed off of the turnovers. They're just, it's those things have kind of gotten a little bit out of control. And so we'll just see if they can, uh, get that short up. I think you're right. I think that is the overarching, like, let's get that under control situation um, that the Nuggets, uh, we like to see by, by the time the regular season uh, begins. And then you alluded to the to the chemistry with the starters. And, you know, I, I, what they the first time they played together was the Perth game. So uh, we'll see about that. And we'll see if they can, you know, four of those guys played together a lot last year anyway. Um, and actually, here's a fun, a fun piece of trivia. The guy actually who really didn't play with the most part with for the most part with him was Paul Millsap. It wasn't actually Will Barton, which I think a lot of people would thought it, think it was Will Barton. I was gonna say that was your trivia that you just dropped on us. Yeah, that wasn't that great. It wasn't. Oh, you would you would have gotten that right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I tried. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you would have gotten I'll, somebody. I'll somebody come with was like, oh, Will something Barton. a little no. more difficult next time. Okay, thank you. <laughs> but uh, but Will does actually does have to. Um, I think more than anybody else, find understand where his shots are coming from. Hundred percent. And and so and I think that's just not something that's something that's going to spill into the regular season. I mean, it just is, you know, with that second unit, he played a certain way, was knew where his shots were coming from, and and understood how that was all going to come uh, come about. And and now it's a situation where he's got to get that figured out. So um, we'll see the chemistry with those uh, five starters um, as well. As they get kind of toward toward the regular season, who has impressed you maybe the most? 
Starters or bench guys? Anybody. Anybody. I am very surprised by how NBA-ready Monte Morris has proved mm-hmm. to be. Um, and I don't want to say I didn't expect that because I think that he's a very good player and I think that he's super basketball smart. But the way that him and Mason Plumley have been working together yeah. and the way that he's able to read pick-and-roll situations and decide whether he's going to take it all the way to the hole or he's going to pull up and, and shoot a jump shot or whether he's going to hit Mason rolling to the basket. I mean, how many alley-oops did we see right. between the two of them? Um, how many have we seen so far in the preseason? Um, and when he does get open shots, he's knocking them down. Mm-hmm. It, it looks like he really hasn't missed a step. He doesn't look rushed in the game at all. Um, and I think the the presence he brings as a point guard off the bench has got to be reassuring for Malone and the coaching staff and his teammates bringing him in and being like, okay, we know that not everything is going to fall to pieces now that Jamal's not in running the show or even like Will Barton playing the point guard. Mm -hmm. We have somebody who can come in, get those guys a breather and still hold down the fort. Yeah. You know, he doesn't get sped up. And that was the one thing that I think even coming out of uh, Iowa state, I was very impressed with him and that he plays his, at his pace. You're not going to just quick him, you know, quicken him up and and get him to turn the ball over or anything like that. He's gonna he's not gonna make bad decisions when things get chaotic, uh, and he's just gotten better in those those areas, you know. And and um, as you talked about, and so it's you know for a team obviously still missing Isaiah Thomas. Um, I, I think you hit on the the most important essential point, and that is um, the coaching staff certainly can love what they're seeing and have ultimate trust. Uh, they trusted him coming in, but there's, they had that has to be through the roof for them right now. Absolutely. I mean, the, the way the way he's been able to play and, um, and then you're right, he gets to his spots right. So, um, he's a mid range elbow jump shooter. He, he gets to that spot and knocks that shot right down. Uh, and what's helped him out a, little, a lot in that area is being able to knock down a three point shot as well. So now you have defenders on their toes in a way they probably wouldn't have been, um, before. Uh, a little more cognizant of his ability to to knock it down from deep. It allows him to be able to kind of penetrate and find his spots in um, in, in, the, in the paint as well. So Monte Morris, I think for me, um, uh, there's been a number of guys, but you know I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna just I'm gonna go off the regular path and I'm gonna talk about Malik Beasley for that a second. was gonna be my number two. Yeah, so I'm glad you're bringing him up. Yeah, because I I, I think for him I remember back to this is after All Star break last season. Uh, I had a small conversation with him, and actually it was an interview. I mean, I was, you know, he had played fairly well in a couple of games, and I said, "Hey, what's what's working for you?" You know, and and he says to me, "Well, you know, I, I just rededicated myself to basketball. Basically, he he didn't think that he was bringing the right mindset, and so therefore he was going to start bringing the right mindset, and all the way down to it, his nutrition and sleeping and all of that kind of a stuff. A basketball baptism, if you will. That <laughs> is what just came to my mind. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. And so, you know, he, you know, I, I think what happened from him from that point on to the end of the season was he understood a whole lot more. He was a lot more clear, I should say, in his head about how he needed to operate to be successful on the NBA level. And then he has you know, guys like Gary Harris and, and like just workers on the team. Well, Barton, these, these guys who that's all they do back basketball is their life and they want to get better all the time. Yeah. And so he had great mentor examples around him as well. He, 
even on Instagram and Twitter, like he, I'm hungry. I'm staying hungry. I'm ready to go. There's nobody, you know, loading, you could, right, loading, right, loading. Right, right. This is a guy that made no bones about how how serious he was about coming back and playing well uh, this season, and he's put that entirely on the court. And his shooting has been the biggest, you know, improvement that he's made. I mean, he is knocking down three-point shots at a very high level. I mean, he said to – I think he said to you, mm-hmm. um, you know, listen, I'm a shooting guard. I should make shots. Yes. <laughs> well, and, yeah, and it's just a couple of days ago after practice. I'm sitting there chatting with him because I'm so intrigued by his growing percentages as well. He said he was working out with his trainer this summer. When he first started doing shooting drills, he was shooting like 60%. Mm-hmm. month later, they get to summer league shooting like 70%. A month later – 80%. And that's kind of where he's been at. As I'm having this conversation with him, Coach Malone walks by and interrupts <laughs> and is like, this guy's playing so well right now. I'm so proud of him. Like jumps in our conversation and is like, he knows his role. Said those words. He knows his role. I trust him. I'm, I'm so excited for the way he's been playing on both ends of the floor. Something along those lines. And you could see Malik light up yeah. in that situation. Like, whoa. Coach trusts me. I trust him. And that... I would argue has not been there no. in the past. Yeah, This is a completely different relationship between the two of them. And, and Bees has even said that. He's been like, coach and I are in a really good place. Mm-hmm. And I've put in the work and he's noticing it. I'm noticing it paying off. And I think Nuggets fans are noticing it too. Yeah. And Michael Malone appreciates work. That that's what he completely. I mean, he's he's that's the kind of dude he is, and with Malik Beasley, he sees him putting in that work, and then now we're all seeing it kind of pay off on the on the basketball court. And the thing about Malik is, is that defensively and hustle wise, he pretty much was he's pretty much been that kind of a guy. Because he even when he played last year, I'm thinking of a stretch. It was a road stretch. He played really well in Orlando. I think scored like 12 points, and then they put him in the game in like the, each of the three or four subsequent games after that. And Malone's quote during that time was, well, if he's going to play defense, then he's going to be on the court. And he played defense. So he's got that in him already. And so now this offensive piece and the confidence mm-hmm. is uh, – it's a big deal for him. So um, that's been – it's been a lot of fun uh, yeah. to watch him. The effort has never been an issue no. with Malik. I think it has just been his mindset. I don't need to come in and score a million points. I don't need to come in and be that guy for the Nuggets. And that was a conversation at Summer League too. You don't need to come in and like steal the show. If you can defend really hard and hit shots when you're open, you're going to play. You're going to be a guy off the bench. You're going to be one of the first three guys off the bench. And that's the way it's going to be. You're going to get significant minutes for this team. And I think he's finally realizing that and asking him kind of where that confidence has come from. Recognizing his role, Mm -hmm. knowing that that's all that he needs to do. You don't need to be anything that you're not at all. Mm -hmm. And knowing that Malone trusts him, that's a huge thing too. Like, just knowing what your team needs from you and being able to execute that. He also said being experienced. This is year three. Yep. That's It, it can sometimes come down to something as simple as that. Yep, yep, yep. Um, last thing really fast. What have we thought about Gary Harris so far? I mean, Mr. Consistency. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that will ever change. Um, at least not in my eyes. I've been a Gary, Gary Harris fan since day one. I think he's extremely underrated um, just in terms of his position and what he brings to this team. Uh, what I am really loving is his leadership and vocally how he's stepping up. I, I knew he, I was going to get a solid defender. I knew I was going to get someone who was going to consistently score an extremely smart 
Love the Harris-Jokic combination. I will until the day that I die, and those two team <laughs> players are playing for the Nuggets. Like, if I could feed them on the wing and run, pick, and roll every single time down the floor, I think I would. Yeah. I would I would put odds on, on something good happening from that. But he's I've seen multiple instances now where he's pulled guys together. When mm-hmm. Millsap got that got ejected, which what was whatever. We won't go there. <laughs> but like preseason what? Um Gary was the one yeah. who pulled everybody in, regrouped them, and said, Come on guys, let's just like don't it's let's be chill here yeah, for a second. Yeah. Like let's just Okay. <laughs> let's get this. Rain, rain it in. Rain it in here. <laughs> Absolutely. But and that's the type of thing that he can do. And now he's a he's a vet, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So he's talking to some of the younger guys and bringing them on board. It's It's so cool for me to see this Nuggets culture established and the philosophy already there and the guys who have been around that were young living that out. Yep. And and making sure that that stays the way that it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, What about you, Gary Harris? (laughs) Gary Harris, uh, yeah. Listen, I I just think he's a pro's pro. I mean, Dave Yeager last year. So we were in Sacramento and in the pregame media availability with the head coach, uh, Dave Yeager just basically just says like Gary Harris is Superman and I love him yeah. so much <laughs> as a player and I, and I just that, that's kind of how I feel about Gary Harris. I would I mean, want to play with Gary Harris. Yeah, I mean like, he just is. Even Paul Millsap when he got here, it wasn't very long after he got here. Somebody asked him about what he thought about certain guys on the team, and he singled out Gary Harris in in terms of a worker and said, "Man, man, this guy is serious. Like mm-hmm. he, he's for real." You know, he doesn't show you a ton of emotion one way or another, but this guy's for real. And so, um, yeah, listen, uh, the minute that he walked on the court, you could tell he was really tired. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was tired, like, yeah. <laughs> well, we didn't train at altitude. The, no, and you know what? Coach Malone talked about that a little bit the following day. He says something to the effect of, you know, we weren't really altitude ready because we trained at sea level. Uh, so the guys were really winded. And then, obviously, they're spending a week away from – altitude again uh, prior to uh, you know the, the start of the regular season which thankfully will be at sea level <laughs> that double header though that phoenix golden state right that's gonna catch up real uh, quick that's gonna be a tough one <laughs> for sure all right uh we're gonna get to our special guest uh it is one of the nuggets newest assistant coaches mark price one of the legends in this game here's our interview with coach so in all of the interviews that we will do here at the 24K, the Nuggets official podcast, we might not ever have anybody more accomplished than our next guest. And I'm talking about Mark Price. And this is why uh, this is what I mean. Four time NBA all star. First team all NBA one time, three time all NBA third team, two time three point shooting champ, member of the 50 40 90 club. And let me just tell you, uh, Katie. This is how rare that is. Seven people are in it. Mark is one of them. Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, Reggie Miller, Dirk Nowitzki, Larry Bird. Those what? are the others. Those are the others. The company, though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. In college, ACC Rookie of the Year, three-time first-team All-ACC, third-team All-American, second-team All-American. His number 25 is retired by both the Cleveland Cavaliers and Georgia Tech. Member of the Ohio Basketball Hall of Fame, Georgia and Oklahoma Basketball Hall of Fames, and you have an arena named after you in Enid, Oklahoma. What? Well, that's a <laughs> bit of trivia that uh, not a people, a lot, not a lot of people probably know about. Well, let's just start right there. Actually, hitting them with the knowledge oh, yeah. from the start. <laughs> um, tell us, uh, tell us about 
what that means to you, and I know what my high school and my town means to me, but what does that mean to you when, when, when uh, you get that kind of an honor? Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. It's, uh, we played in, uh, in an old convention center uh, downtown in, in our hometown. We didn't have a, a gym on our campus, and it was a pretty cool. Everybody it was known as Convention Hall, so uh, when the town – you know, which had to get voted on by the city. I mean, this was like a kind of a big deal in Enid, Oklahoma, you know. So it got changed to Mark Price Arena, and it's got a little, you know, cool deal. So that's how people talk about it now. And so it's uh, it was really, really cool. That is awesome. Is there a Mark Price Day? Well, there was one. So I got <laughs> one of those keys to the city days. I was going to say, do you have the yeah, key to the city? I got it somewhere. <laughs> what an honor. How does it feel like listening to Demp's list off those accomplishments. Can you even believe it? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a little surreal sometimes uh, when you start going down the list of things, but uh, especially, you know, coming from a small small town like Enid, Oklahoma, being a six-foot foot guy, and I was probably 155 pounds soaking wet coming out of high school. <laughs> so, uh, you know, not a lot of people had me high on the radar as, as being a great basketball player or potential professional player and then getting to accomplish some of the things I was able to do so you know it's uh it's really cool you know when you look back on I probably appreciate it now more than while I was in the midst of everything going on you don't uh, you just kind of are doing your thing you know and and don't really take the time to appreciate it but uh so it's it, it, you know it's something to be proud of and look back on and uh, my family and and friends and everybody that was a kind of a part of that journey you know is, is really cool when did basketball, you know, become a part of a major part of your life? Like, when did you know this is the sport I want to play? Well, it's my dad was a basketball coach, mm -hmm. so he coached at the high school level, college level, a couple years as an assistant in the NBA for the Phoenix Suns. I was about ten years old at the time. I remember going to the pro games, and you know, it's funny. My mom tells a story I don't remember, but she said, you know, most of the other ten-year-olds were just running around the arena, you know, getting popcorn and stuff like that. And she said I would literally sit you know, glued to my chair and watch every single thing that happened. And I told her I was going to be an NBA player when I was 10 years old. So you already knew. You know, That's so, so cool. So I knew, although I had to convince a lot of other people along the way. <laughs> you know. This is also your, so skipping a lot, really fast. This is your second time with the Denver Nuggets. Um, you coached for a year under with George Carl. It was more of a. It was actually Jeff Bezdel. Was it Bezdel? Uh, oh, when it was he was Bezdelic. coaching right. here in the Carmel Carmelo years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was more of a consulting role. I wasn't okay. here year round, but I came in in and out a few times. But uh, but yeah, I've had a, a previous experience with the Nuggets. So how'd you get the hooked up this time? I uh, just uh, got a call, you know, out of the blue. Uh, you know, obviously, I've, I've known Mike uh, Malone and his family. I coached with his dad, uh, yeah. Brendan Malone, uh, in Orlando. And so uh, we've known each other. Uh, Tim Conley, you know, goes way back, I guess, when I was at Bullets. My brother played for the Bullets, and he, he was kind of a you know, young kid in Baltimore. Uh, so he was familiar with me as well. But it just – I got a call, said they were looking to add to their staff, and – and one thing led to another, and here I am. Unbelievable. Yeah. What has stood out to you so far? You've been with the Nuggets a couple months now. About this team? Well, there's a lot to like about this team. Uh, obviously, I did my homework when I was talking to them, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, really impressed with the uh, the amount of talent that they've accumulated on this team. A lot of really talented young players. Uh, a chance to really come come in and help. You know, help. You know, mentor, you know, some guys. I played in the league, obviously, and, 
and, and to share my experiences and to these guys that have an opportunity to be be really good and you know they've been so close the last couple of years you know game came out from the playoffs and you know but at the same time uh, they're a bunch of really good guys you enjoy being around them uh so I, i'm really excited i think we got a chance to have a really good year i think that your kind of legend is growing already as an assistant here in so far as people are oh he's the shoot you're like the shooting whisperer <laughs> well, and, and I wonder, and I wonder, yeah, how does that sit with you? Uh, you know, what is, and kind of just describe what what it is that what you do day to day with the team. Well, you know, I have multiple multiple roles, and and that's something that continues to to evolve as well. You know, it's a good staff they already had in place, and so they brought me in to work with a few guys. Uh, shooting's part of part of it, but uh, young guards, you know, like Jamal Murray and. Monty Morris as well to uh, you know having played their position and yeah. and uh, try to help them develop and, and continue to grow as a player. So you know my role is continuing to grow, but it's I think more or less to to help you know be a help to Mike and the coaching staff in any way they they feel like I can try to help the players on the development side of things. Uh, you know guys that might need help in shooting or other parts of the game. So you know I'm just here to try to help help whoever, you know, help the Nuggets be good and have a great year this year and any any role that they, they want me to play. What's the most difficult thing about playing point guard? Well, point guard, uh, it really is, people say, but it, it really is probably the most difficult position to, to learn in, in basketball because, uh, you know, you have to kind of run the show out there. You're a coach on the floor. Uh, you have to keep everybody involved. Uh as a lot of say, keep everybody happy out there. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. But at the same time, you have to look for your opportunities uh, as well, particularly if you're a scoring point guard uh, like I was. That's why I can relate a lot to Jamal and, and his growth as a player because he's a he's a scoring guard, and yet at the same time he has the responsibilities of kind of being, being the leader out there on the floor, kind of getting guys in whatever uh, positions they need to be, making sure guys are getting touches when they need them. And, mm-hmm. Keeping guys, you know, positive and guy misses a couple shots, you know, you know, one of the roles is just to kind of, you know, build them up and try to get their confidence back going again. So, you know, it's it's going to be fun for me to be a part of all that. And like I said, just things that I might see as a former point guard, some other body, someone else may not see that uh, could be helpful to to them. And that's kind of the things I'm looking for. There are a couple questions I'm sure that Nuggets fans are dying to know when it comes to you and your new role. And you bring up Jamal Murray in particular. What have your conversations been like with him, and have you talked to him about his free throw percentage yet? Well, he's already a good free throw <laughs> yeah, shooter. You know, know. He's, he's 90%, I think, and that's pretty impressive for you know Which first, is first two years in the league. And what you were right around. Correct? Yeah, I finished my career over 90, and and. I had a few years there where I was like 94 during the season. So there I, it is. I let him know that he's got <laughs> he's got to work his way That's up to mark. Yeah. That's the mark. But uh, but I like it. I, you know, I hope that he passes me and surpasses me. That's that's what it's all about. Those kind of records are. You hope that you get a chance to coach guys that have a chance to to surpass those things. And so I'll do everything I can to to try to help him. But uh, you know, it's not going to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Pressure pack free throws, but you but you have had good conversations with him, and uh, he seems to be very receptive. Uh, you know, uh, even with um, veteran players who are uh, playing like um, Jameer Nelson, he was very close to and 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 really listened to uh, what he was saying, and um, 
uh, he's that kind of guy. And and I'm wondering if you've seen that immediately, you know, in dealing with him, just how receptive, is he a sponge? No question. I I think all the guys on the team are are that way. You know, they're very coachable. They want to learn. They want to be good. Uh, I've had great conversations with Jamal so far. We watch – we watch film together, you know, if I see something that, that I might could help, you know, we I try to show him and we talk about things, what's he seeing out there and and just just developing that relationship, you know, from, from one, uh, you know, former player to another, but also <laughs> as a coach to a, to a player. But those things are really important. Uh, you know, these guys are looking to be good. They want to be good. Uh, I can see that hunger, you know, being close and not getting to the playoffs. So... They're really taking things in, whatever, whatever. Anybody that has something that can help them, and so uh, that's it's been a real, real joy and a lot of fun to be around these guys so far. Even though it's only been about a month for me. I won't have you name names here, but have you been around teams where that's not the case? Oh yeah, totally, totally. I mean, it's you, you can. I've been on teams, played on teams as well. You know that were, you know, my teams in Cleveland were really close. Had a bunch, you know. Guys, that there was great camaraderie, and I've been on other, you know, been on other teams where it wasn't as much. So, I think the the group that they've put together, and you got to give a lot of credit to uh, management here, uh, the coaching staff. They've done a great job of really putting a great group of guys together, not just good players, but good people and guys that want to be good and go about things the right way. You know, expand on that, and why does that matter so much? That camaraderie, because sometimes you hear, well. Uh, these guys don't have to get along to be able to win to, together, but it helps a whole. You know, it, can you kind of just speak to the importance of that of the camaraderie and the closeness being, and you know, and what it does in terms of winning on the basketball court? Yeah, I just think anything you do in life, if you're around people that you like, you know, it's the environment for success is is a lot greater. Uh, mm-hmm. You can be on teams where you don't really like each other, but you can somehow make it work on the court, but it makes it more difficult, you know. So when you do have a group of guys that – and I have, you know, when they're out even just scrimmaging in practice, you can tell that they're having fun and they they enjoy the game. They enjoy playing against – competing against each other and, and pulling for, for one another. And I think that's, that's key for teams that want to go to the playoffs and be a championship team. I mean, yeah, it's – basketball is an individual sport in some ways and it's a team sport. You know, and you got to be able to, you know, even though you're trying to, you know, have a great individual career, you know, at the same time you want to have, you know, a team play on teams that are, are successful. And so, you know, you have a, an individual game and a team game and you got to try to bring, bring those two together and, and, the, and the good teams find a way to do that. Yeah. What do you think is the single most important factor in becoming a great shooter? Well, I think you do have to have – Good technique, you know, the right, uh, you know, to finish right, you got to start right. That's kind (laughs) of something I say a lot, uh, you know, that can, you have different guys have different forms, different things that that they do and they shoot. But, but I think you have to start there. You have to have a, you know, a basic, a fundamental approach to, to your shooting, but then you got to just spend a lot of time in the gym. It takes a lot, a lot of hours, you know, just don't become a, a good shooter overnight. You know, it's a lot of hours in the gym and, and spending the time and, and working on your craft and not being satisfied with where you're at. I think that's uh, all the great players have always tried to get better and continue to get better. I know, you know, as a player every year, I would try to improve my game in some form or fashion. Uh, I might see a, a move another player makes that I like or, 
you know, needing to get my shot off quicker or playing against bigger guys. And so, you know, you try to go into the offseason with the purpose of, of adding to your game and, and continuing to grow. And I think when you stop doing that, it's kind of when, when your game starts, you know, leveling off a little bit. How – if a guy has a very kind of funky release, and he's been doing that for, you know, since maybe he's – Ever. Yeah, forever. Yeah. How much do you look to alter that, and how long does it take to build a new habit to be able to shoot it the right way in the heat of a game when somebody's trailing you off, of, you know, off a screen roll? Something. Just yeah. how how difficult is that? It can be difficult. Uh, to me, I think when you're dealing with professional athletes, you're dealing with you know the best athletes in the world. I think think changes can be made. But guys have to mentally buy into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think there's a little bit you can bring in a you know shooting coach or, or you know guys can work with the, with somebody in the summer to try to help them get better. And and, and uh, you know my thing when I'm talking with guys is you know how much do you really want to are you willing to make some changes and do what it takes to to do that because unless they buy into that, it's you're kind of wasting your time you know mm-hmm. so to speak. So, uh, but yeah, I think. Even if it's not perfect form, you know, I think you look at what kind of success they've had. You know, if a guy's just, I mean, a bricklayer out there, I mean, you might, <laughs> you might, you might need, you know, what I call, uh, you know, uh, it can be full blown surgery on complete their shot. Makeover yeah, complete makeover is what ma- we call that. Complete makeover, <laughs> you know. Uh, if a guy's just got this, maybe it's just a little arthroscopic work, or you know, maybe <laughs> quick scope. You know, yeah, or, or maybe it's just cosmetic. You know, <laughs> however it is. But you know, I always look try to find. You know, I don't try to make it too complicated on on guys. You know, if you start thinking too much, I think that can become a problem. But you try to find one or two things that maybe, hey, if you just do this, you know, it could help you. You know, improve. And I think. Then the confidence—that's that's really the key, you know. Once they start gaining confidence and and having confidence in making that shot, they're gonna they're gonna you know grab on to the changes that are being made. Have you had any players specifically approach you about getting extra work in? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guys have been good, and you know, everywhere I've been, I, I in a lot of ways, when you're new and you're coming in, you know, it's about like I said, building relationships. But you have a pretty good reputation. Right. Well, <laughs> that doesn't hurt. You know, it, it doesn't hurt when, you know, you're talking about an area like shooting when, you know, you know my my career speaks for itself in, in that. So there's not a lot of arguing that goes along. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. You know, but, but at the same time, uh, you realize that, you know, guys have been shooting a w- certain way for maybe 17, 18 years, mm-hmm. you know, their whole life. And so making changes isn't always easy. Uh but, you know, I think handled in the right way and, and, you know, knowing that you know what you're talking about and that, that you can trust and gaining that trust uh, and working with guys is big. And once, once you have that, then I think you have a chance to, to really have some good success. So you took a year off after UNC Charlotte, yeah? Mm-hmm. Did you think that you definitely wanted to come back to coaching? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I love the game, and I love teaching the game yeah. and, and uh, working with guys on the court. And and I think at the NBA level, uh, when you're a basketball guy, uh, you know, that's kind of the ultimate because it's 24-7 mm-hmm. basketball, you know, at the college level. And I enjoyed that and, and learned a lot. But, I mean, really 85% of my job was 
doing things other than <laughs> right. than basketball. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of other things that go go into that. But uh, even though that was a great experience, so the opportunity to you know come back and, and and work at the NBA level again was something that was really exciting for me. And and like I said, to come into a group that's you know got a lot of ability and talent and a, a team that's on the rise. It's a, it's a great opportunity and something that I'm, I'm really excited about being here in Denver. When, when you play and then you coach, I mean, is there – just kind of talk about staying close to the game and, 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 and staying immersed in that and how much that means to – you know, especially you're, you talked about being 10 years old and, right. you know, and this has been your life. It has. It's, it's been my life. It's, I've grown up around it. I'm a coach's kid. Yeah. Even though when I quit playing, I – because I was a coach's kid, I didn't really necessarily know that I wanted. Because I knew what kind of commitment it took. I right. had had some young kids when I grad, you know, when I finished playing, and and so, you know, I kind of gradually, you know, it just kept pulling me back in. I started doing some shooting stuff with teams. I built a shooting academy in Atlanta. Mm. Uh, NBA teams started sending players to me in the off seasons. One thing led to another, and you know, they started wanting me to be with them during the season. And yeah. one thing led, you know. To all of a sudden you're back in your coaching so you know it was kind of chose me in some ways yeah. uh but i love it you know like i said when you've had success and played a game and you know now you're on the other side of of your career and getting a chance to help other other people you know enjoy success and help them get better as players that's that's what's fun for me okay we can't not ask you about your nba stories and experiences <laughs> since we have you here um, and even just talking about that academy too, is there an NBA player that you've worked with that really surprised you, or do you have a great story that you can bring up of a time in a gym with a player? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys still playing that that came through that that academy, and you know, one of the guys people you know, I worked with Rajon Rondo uh, when he was with the Celtics uh, right before they you know won the championship, and spent some time with him. Uh, a guy named Lou Williams, who now is considered one of the best you know, shooters yeah. coming in off the bench in the game. Well, you know, when he came to work with me, uh, he kind of had a nickname called Left Right. He had, you know, uh, <laughs> he, he, he wasn't really shooting it right and was struggling in early part of his career. And so he got his shooting kind of going and straightened down, has had a great career. And so it's just been, you know, a lot of fun for me to, to get a chance. Andre Guadal is another guy that's, mm-hmm. that, that came through there and I spent some time with him and, He's obviously had a great career, and so it's been fun for me to know that, you know, maybe I played a little bit of a, a part in some of these guys' success as they've uh, gone on and had great careers. What's the craziest NBA story, either as a player or as a coach? Or <laughs> Crazy story and... <laughs> That is podcast appropriate. <laughs> but something off the cuff, you know, that we wouldn't expect or um, I don't – there there are so many things that that happen off the court, in a, even just in a bonding way, in, right. in an experience way with, within the team that people don't know about. And so being able to open, you know, listeners' eyes to that sort of thing is, is a cool opportunity and no one knows it better than you. Yeah, I think uh, – like I said, my teams in Cleveland, we I was there nine years. We had a lot of really good good teams. I got really close to guys like Brad Doherty, Larry Nance, mm-hmm. uh, Craig Elo, Ron Harper. Uh, and we just, you know, got to spend a lot of time together. You know, we were all family guys. We all had kids, you know, going to each other's houses and hanging out and, and, and doing things like that. And, 
just, you know, guys that I'm still close to. And, you know, we talk all the time and, you know, getting to see Larry and his son now playing in Cleveland. And, I mean, that's just got to be be really Unreal. cool because yeah. they, they still live in Cleveland and things like that. So I think it's it's really the things you remember as a player. I mean, the great games that you experienced and got to play in. But I think the thing that guys miss more than anything else is just the the times in the locker room or on the on the bus or – you know, I mean, it's just going at each other, you know, in some form or fashion, you know, getting <laughs> each other. I mean, we used to, we had a bunch of guys from the ACC when I played for, for Cleveland. Uh, Larry was from Clemson, Brad, Carolina, Danny Ferry's from Duke. And so when the ACC tournament would come around, when whoever's teams played each other, the win- the loser had to wear the other guy's hat on the uh, <laughs> on the road on the road trip uh, and stuff, you know. Competition. Yeah, and so you know, just just stuff like that, you know, that is, is the things you remember, you know, about about uh, about the game and the things you miss when you're done playing because you can't. Those are just certain the locker room and the the trips and all the just going to war together, you know, battling and, and trying to win and, and playing the Bulls and the Celtics and the, the Pistons and the Lakers and all those great teams. You know, I was blessed to play in an era that just had so many so many great teams and players, you know, from Larry Bird to Magic to Michael. And just so I, I feel blessed and privileged to have gotten to play in a great, unbelievable era of basketball. Okay, speaking of all those teams, what was your favorite team to face? Boy, they were – I mean, they were all fun for me. I mean, uh, you know, when I first got in the league, you know, the Lakers were winning championships, and then it was the Celtics. And, you know, Boston Garden was hard to – it's hard to be just going into that and going in and seeing all the banners. And and it's just an unreal environment. I loved loved going in there to play and that experience. And, you know, of course, you had Philadelphia, Dr. J, and all those guys at the end of his career. And and then it went into the Pistons – you know, time, and we battled those guys, and of course the Bulls after that. So it was the East was the beast yeah. back then. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's it, funny. You know, it's flipped, what a it, time. You know, it, it flips. You know, as time goes on, I know the West is you know perceived to be stronger right now, but uh, back then it was. I mean, the East was like a bear <laughs> to yeah, go through. Sure. Yeah, every night. Could you imagine if the uh, NBA back then was shooting three pointers at the rate that they're shooting oh. them right now? How many you would have hit? Yeah, I would have. Uh, would have <laughs> cater to your style, like, play a little yeah. bit. Better. Of course, they did a lot more holding, grabbing, and right. That's what all I was going to ask you too. next too. I mean, how as a player in in the league at the time when it was probably the most physical it's ever been, and seeing how it's evolved now, what are your thoughts on the new NBA? Well, my first initial thought is I was born twenty years too early. <laughs> Because I've sure been getting a lot more shots up from three and probably making a whole lot more money, I'll tell you that much. But uh, uh, style, you know, with the rule changes and, you know, when people try to compare, you know, eras or players and eras, it's sure. it's kind of hard to compare because it's not the same game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember I looked back on some of our Bulls playoff and there might have been – 10 threes taken total by both teams combined. What? Yeah, yeah, in, in, in a game, it just, you know, it was more of a big man dominated. I mean, every team, it seemed like, had had a guy you could throw it in the post and could get 30 in there. And, and you know, mm-hmm. in, it was more inside out, you know, yeah. type of basketball. And, 
And I think I was maybe taking five threes a game was kind of leading a the, lot. Was yeah. a, like considered a lot, you know, <laughs> yeah. back then. And, yeah. and uh, I remember. I mean, now, I mean, you see guys getting up 10, 15 in a game. It's just, uh, yeah, it makes me cry sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> was it apparent that, at what point was it apparent that the NBA was kind of flipping that way? I mean, I don't under. It was for so long a big man's. Well, just kind of throw it in, like you said, inside out. Right. Why? Why? Why did it flip? I think it's just been a gradual uh, thing. I think the European influence mm-hmm. uh, coming into the game a lot, and Dirk Nowitzki yeah. was probably you know the first really good you know seven foot big guy that you know would shoot threes and could stretch a defense out, and and so teams started looking for those kind of guys, and I think it slowly and then. The analytics stuff that has grown within the NBA, the st- statistics and people really studying that. And and from everything they've studied, you know, taking threes, you know, 43s, even though you might shoot 35% from there, is better than shooting a bunch of twos. Yeah. And so it's just been a combination of things, I think, that's kind of led to, to where it's at. Will it ever kind of flip and go back the other direction, I think? I think it's a copycat league in, in in some ways you know the warriors and, and the way they've kind of turned the game everybody wants to play like them houston and the teams that are doing well now but uh and big the next, have adapted it seems yeah they're, yeah. they're just all guys. Yeah. Well, people yeah. train in completely different ways now it's not like as positional as it used to be like bigs on one end guards on the other end let's you know work the post work and the guard work now <laughs> right. it's like everybody do everything and make sure that you can play one through five yeah it's it's really true i mean it used to be more i mean point guard two guard you know small forward power forward <laughs> i mean they were very defined kind of positions yeah. you know that everybody kind of had those kind of players and now you're kind of just a guards a guard you know point guards obviously shoot the ball a lot more now than than when I first came in the league. I remember I was I think my second year in the league I was like the third high scoring point guard behind Magic and Isaiah. I mean you had more kind of mo cheeks kind of point guards mm-hmm. in the league than kind of run the team, pass, you know, play defense, shoot an open shot every now and then if, to keep teams honest. Uh so, you know, after I came in and, and other guys like Kevin Johnson, Tim Hardaway, Gary Payton's start coming in that that position started changing uh, as being a scoring position as well so you know it's it's constantly evolving constantly changing but uh but i think all those things have kind of led up to to where it is now to where really i mean a dominant scoring point guard is one of the if you have one of those guys yeah, yeah. that's what it you is. know that's yeah. that's what the Gold league ticket. that's what the league is right now yeah well we oh, go ahead i have one more yeah if that's okay what is your quote-unquote grandkid story? When you look back on maybe your most memorable game or you guarded this player and this happened, <laughs> do you have that? What initially comes to your mind when you're like, okay, this is my coolest moment? Well, I think one of them uh, was when we beat the Celtics. You know, to Larry Bird's last last season, I you tell people all the time I ended Larry's career. <laughs> you know? uh, but to just kind of be a part of that and kind of getting over that Celtic hump and, you know, getting to the Eastern Conference Finals to play the Bulls and and just the legend 
you know, that, that he was, even though he was kind of banged up and toward the end of his career. <laughs> we but don't even, need <laughs> but no. even, but, uh, You beat him. But, you know, <laughs> just getting to play against all those guys and, and, you know, the battles against the Bulls, you know, Michael, and even though he hit the shot, I, I have to go into detail about, you know, <laughs> you know, what people don't, what people forget about that. You know, give that, us the well, details. Yeah, give us the details. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's get into those details. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was only a five-game series, and it was a first-round series. I mean, when people see the shot, they think that was some get shot to win the championship or something. <laughs> but we had beaten Chicago six times that year. Yeah. We were a better team. I was hurt. I didn't play first game. They Anyway, we get it back to game five in Cleveland. And we were down one with six seconds to go. And Elo throws the ball in. Jordan's covering him. Elo goes back door, hits a layup in three seconds. Mm-hmm. And so it goes, I mean, just the the highs and the lows from the fans in the building to, to everything was just, I mean, everybody's just going nuts. You know, we're, we're going to win the game. And then, of course, Jordan hits a, sh- <laughs> hits a shot three seconds later. So it was it was an unbelievable experience, uh, you know. Every time I get somebody texting me, you guys are on, you know, NBA, you know, whatever, going back to the old game. I said, <laughs> I wonder what game they're showing, <laughs> right. you know. But, uh, but, you know, even being part of that, though, was unbelievable experience, and, and even though in a tough way. But, uh, but so it was, you know, I had a lot of great moments, you know, uh, a lot of stories to tell the grandkids. <laughs> well, this has been an unbelievable, unbelievable experience for us. We really appreciate you coming by and, and, and chatting with us for a few. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, Enjoyed we're, it. We're so excited to have you with the Nuggets, too, and see how you can develop some of these young guys. I mean, like you said, we're so excited about yeah. the opportunity to watch them. I know Nuggets Nation is so excited about the potential and the youth in this team. So happy to have you on board. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Mark Price, let's get this man into the Hall of Fame, please. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> Nugget Station, that'll do it for this episode of 24K. We will see you next time.